Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB AM 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm thrilled to be in here this morning um, in my nice warm studio uh, with a wonderful guest who's joining us by phone from New York, and her name is Pamela Reichman. And Pamela is a journalist as well as the author of Stiletto Network. Pamela, thanks so much for joining me this morning. Thank you for having me. Um, I, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about your years growing up in Short Hills, New Jersey. Can you talk about that for a bit? Sure. I um, I don't. Although there's not much to tell, it wasn't very exciting. It was a regular. I mean, a, a wonderful suburban town. My dad worked in the city, and um, my mom stayed at home and raised us. And um, and I went to a you know a co-ed public school quote through a co-ed public school system the whole way. So um, and then I actually went to college in New Jersey too. I went to Princeton, and now I live in New York. So the big joke is you know I really love to travel because I have to get out every so often. <laughs> <laughs> I have to, you know cut the umbilical cord every. So right. I can totally relate to that because I, I'm a Philadelphia girl and still here, haven't ventured too far away. Yeah. There's something nice about that as well, though, I think, you no, know, the connections. It's true. And now, I mean, you know, I have three I have three kids. I have three young boys. So it's really nice to have family close by. Right. Where Short Hills. I'm not familiar with that. Where is that? It's, it's, it's a suburb of New York. It's just about um, 40 minutes outside the city in northern New Jersey. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. So tell me, um, I, I'm wondering if, if when you were younger, um, if you always had a sense that you wanted to be a writer. I mean, I know uh, before actually you got into that area, um, you worked in investment banking. So as a young girl, was writing something that you spent time doing? It was, and it was actually, it was always my first love. I mean, I, I was sort of a very, very avid reader from a young age, and um, I, was, I loved what they now call dramatic play. I know that through my children, you know, playing dress-up. And so I always loved to write. I won the English awards in my high school. I took a, every AP English and, and French literature class. Um, that was always really my first love. I loved theater. Um, and in college, I majored in comparative literature and French and Italian literature and wrote my thesis, my senior thesis on French theater between the two world wars. So this was my passion from the time I was a kid. But I, um, I'm 39 and I got out of college in um, 1996 and I just had really no idea what I wanted to do. I, I could, As many of us don't. Yeah, I mean, I could gussy that up and make it, you know, yeah. and sort of make myself appear as though I had more direction. I was exceptionally lucky to have gone to a wonderful school. And so I think uh, there were doors open to me as a result. And, mm -hmm. and only now as an adult do I realize how fortunate I was. Um, I worked hard too, but, um, but I managed to land a job at a management consulting firm. And, um, and when I got there, you know, they, they hire all these kids from liberal arts colleges and they train you, you know, and, and so I didn't know anything about financial services, but I ended up working for the heads of the financial services practice there who are a married couple. And, um, and I loved working for them. I would have followed them anywhere. You know, I worked in Chicago and Minneapolis, all over the place and um, really traveled a ton for that job. And by, at the end, sort of had developed somewhat of an expertise in financial services. Mm -hmm. um, and then I went to work for two investment banks. I did internal strategy for the equities divisions of Goldman Sachs and Merrill Lynch. So, and then you know, when I, I got to the point, and it was actually when I was pregnant with my first child that I kind of had my, you know, my aha moment, like, wait a second, you know, I'm working 12 to 15 hour days and I was making great money. And, um, you know, that of course is a nice thing for a, a young woman living in New right. York, having to support herself. Yes. But, um, 
But in my heart, I always wanted to be a writer. And it was sort of, it coincided with sort of my whole life reevaluation at the birth of the first child that I said, you know what, I, I know I'm meant to work, but I don't think this is what I'm meant to do. I'm meant to be a writer. Right. So I went to grad school in journalism and I, and I, did I reinvent it? Yeah, no, that's wonderful. You know, that's, so, that's such a common common story. You know, I, I I think kids today feel such a pressure to um, determine what they're going to do for the rest of their lives, you know, in, in high school going into college, and that's just not the way it is. Yeah, yeah, I mean, especially today, even, you know, 15, 17 years ago, or much less, you know, 25, 30 years ago, you were sort of on a track for life. But now, I mean, the glorious thing is that industries are more linked and interrelated than we could have expected ever, exactly. you know, yes. and I talk about this when I talk about the book, but you know, 10 years ago, if you worked in tech, and your best friend worked in retail, you never thought you could get together and start a company. But now there's so many synergies and so much overlap between industries and, and so much innovation taking place at the junction of these industries, that the that paths really are open to people that never have been before. That's right. In a wonderful way, you know. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about your, your job with the New York Sun. Um, well, this is, this is funny. I was in journalism school, and I got pregnant for the second time. I ended up doing um, grad school part-time, um, and the head of the journalism school, I went to NYU, um, a guy named Bill Sarin at the time was just, he has two daughters and was such a wonderful mentor to me and continues to be an, an incredible friend. Um, he was very supportive. I got pregnant with my second son in the middle of journalism school, and, um, and he allowed me to do it part-time, which they don't normally do. Um, and while I was pregnant, I, uh, through one woman, I got connected to an editor at the New York Sun. Um, we had coffee. She sort of understood, even though I was pregnant and had a baby at home, that I could still be a viable professional and a viable candidate. And a couple weeks later, she called and said, you know what, they had just lost a staff member. Would I come in? to intern. But she said, listen, I, you know, I know where you are and I'll, you'll get your first clips, you know, which are in journalism, um, you know, published pieces. So mm-hmm. I'll make sure you get your first clips and I'll introduce you to all the editors. And, um, you know, if you come work for us for two days a week. So the joke was that I'm like the oldest living pregnant intern. <laughs> with, and everyone was younger. You know? Right, right. I mean, it, you know, it's a good lesson because, I mean, I was still, I still wasn't, I was in my early thirties, right? I wasn't, um, I wasn't old, but when you've been traveling around and built a career and managed a team in another industry to sort of take a step back and just swallow your ego and say, okay, I'm yes. starting over. Like, I'll, I'll be an intern. I'll be a pregnant intern. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whatever it takes. Right. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. And actually, yeah, that, that editor, Megan Mulligan, t- remains a very close friend of mine and was a reader for this book. Oh, that's... So she and she's, I mean, such a rock star. And so, you know, I tell everybody that I've really lived this book as I was writing it, um, or even and even before, because it it's very tied into my personal story of being helped by all these women. That's right. You know, and and for the listeners, I should mention quickly that um, Stiletto Network is really a story about women, um, kind of uh, coming together, and. Um, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna read a line from the book. It's about women banding together to achieve their destinies and change the world, and that sounds big and grand, you know, uh, and wonderful. But it's kind of really what's happening, um, and has been for the past couple of years. And I think what was so interesting to me about you and your story was that, you know, you didn't just observe. Um, what was going on and kind of have an inkling that, that something big was happening, you actually took that next step 
to tell the story. And I wonder what um, kind of gave you the courage to do that. I, you know what? It's funny. I, for the first time in my life, I had no plan in terms of career, you know? I mean, when I got out of college, certainly I didn't know what I was doing, but I was working for a big enough company and there was a ladder to climb and there were people telling me what, you know, what I should be doing. And I think stepping into journalism in some ways was really scary, but it freed me up because there was no plan and there was no ladder and it was just going to be whatever I made of it. And it very much felt that way with this story. I mean, this was really, I I just had my third child. I guess he was, you know, maybe less than a year old. I was like, you know, still nursing or something. Yeah. And I started to, I was working on a story for the New York Times and I started, it was just, it started for me with a hunch. Like I thought something was happening, but I couldn't put my finger on it. I sort of, I knew it emotionally before I could articulate it intellectually because I mean, for a number of reasons, but I saw the world changing. I saw the women, the way that women looked changing. And so for me, this was so interesting. I wanted to know why this was happening and what was enabling this to exist. And so where it started is, you know, I attended this women's conference in California, again, reporting for this um, article for the New York Times. And what was and, that What was that article about? Um, that was called, it was published in November 2010, and it was called The Risk-Taking Edge of West Coast Women. Okay. And it was... Where it started was there were two women, one of whom had had a successful career in media and foreign relations on the East Coast and then moved to Silicon Valley. And she felt like women in Silicon Valley were so far ahead of women on the East Coast in terms of the way that they networked, how they opened not only their Rolodexes, but also their wallets on their behalf, on each other's behalf. You know, that she felt that they were open, they were, they were risk takers. And she said, gosh, why, you know, I've spent 20 some years on the East Coast building my career and I moved to Silicon Valley and it's been fast tracked already. You know, I just moved here and I've been embraced and my career is fast tracking because of all these incredible helpful women. And then she got together with a woman named Janet Hansen, who's the founder of 85 Broads, the global professional women's right. organization. Right. And Janet knew a lot of people in Silicon Valley. Janet had built her career um, on Wall Street, originally at Goldman. Um, and she agreed with Deborah, Deborah uh, Perry Piccioni, who's the, the other woman. And they organized an event to bring 25 women from 25 of the most high-powered women on the East Coast to Silicon Valley to to meet and learn from their West Coast sisters. So they they wanted to bridge the coastal divide and get these women talking. Right. How wonderful, you know, that they wanted to invite them in. I think that was just such a generous um, offer or invitation. idea was sort of that everyone would win. Right. You know, these women were all highly accomplished and smart, and why didn't they know each other? They should know each other because they could, they, it would be mutually beneficial. Right. And so um, it was the original one, it was called, that original one was called Alley to the Valley because it was Silicon Alley, you know, New York. Right. Yes. To the valley. Uh-huh. And, um, and I wrote about it for, so I heard about this in the summer of 2010, and I just thought the concept was so interesting that I kept following up with the women. And I said, you know, just keep me in the loop. And, and as people, as women signed on to participate in this event, many of them agreed to be interviewed by me. So by the time I actually um, wrote about the event and got there in November, I had 100 pages of single space notes. And wow. I, had, I, I hadn't yet admitted to myself that I was writing a book right. because I just, it just felt too overwhelming and scary to take on a huge project. I was like, oh, my gosh, I just had my third child. You know, but then. 
And But what I did is I just started putting one foot in front of the other and, and doing the work every day. And doing that work didn't seem like a stretch because I was enjoying it so much. I mean, I was really talking to fascinating amazing women about their lives. And I was learning every day. So it wasn't a stretch to read another four articles after my kids went to bed at night. Um, I just started doing it. Well, and it was fascinating, right? It it, it was kind of a, you know, you were watching something unfold. And, um, you know, when you when you find something like that, it's hard to, to walk away from it. Yeah. So I, mean, you... I, I it really I did get obsessed. I mean, at that conference, at the first conference, I met um a woman named Penny Hersher who's just a wonderful wonderful human being and so smart and such a role model. She is a she is in her 50s. She's a woman in tech before there were women in tech. Mm-hmm. She sold her first company, um Simplex Solutions for 300 million dollars, you know, you many wow. years ago. She's now CEO of a second company called First Rain. And um and she defies all the stereotypes of high-powered women in the workforce. You know, she's she's kind, she's loving, you know, no sharp elbows, no re- I mean to see her I've met her children now who are, you know, know, in college, and she's so loving, and she's an amazing mom and an amazing person, but I met her at this event, and um, and she mentioned her dinner group, and I said, you know, who's in your dinner group, and she said, well, you know, I had one in the late 90s, it was me and Meg Whitman when Meg was running eBay, and Joy Covey when Joy was CFO of Amazon, and Dana Evan when Dana was CFO of VeriSign, and um, Kim Palese when she was CEO of Marimba and at that time she was you know not I think she was Time Magazine's most powerful person not woman in the world I was going to that's a quite a powerful dinner group yeah I mean it was this this group of like major major hitters and I laughed and I said well, wow how did you all find each other right and she and she said well you know when you're the only skirt in the room and another one walks in you kind of notice yeah that and so they called their group the babes in boyland and <laughs> the names are all very clever. <laughs> they're very cl- like they're so goofy. And the funny thing is, they just thought they were getting together. I mean, obviously they, you know, it turns out that they were doing business together as well. I mean, this is not only <clears throat> this this isn't a movement of just sort of women holding hands and singing kumbaya. What's amazing about it is it's rooted in deep and true and real female friendship, but it's also this incredible economic force right now in our underground force. It's driving billions of dollars, corporate bo- getting women corporate board seats, companies founded and funded all as a result of these dinner groups, these genuine female friendships. And so I heard about the first one in Silicon Valley, but then I heard about another one in New York and another one in Philadelphia, you know, one in Atlanta, one in LA. You know, when I found one in one in Anchorage, Alaska, I knew I was on to something. Yeah. So it this what I realized is this, you know, women were meeting in dinner groups and networking circles in every city in the US. It's happening among women in all industries and in all age groups. And it you know, it's it's an underground movement. Yeah, that's one of the things I loved about when I was reading the book. Um, you, you you mentioned um, Penny Hersher and yeah. and how kind she is. And two things I found remarkable were these women are very very courageous um, in their in their business and in their industries and smart. But yet they all um, were kind as well. In other words, they were kind enough to always be looking to help somebody else um, rather than being competitive. Yeah, yeah. Why I, do you I think, why do you think oh, that is? Well, it's interesting because one of the things that I was grappling with when I, um, in the process of writing this book, you know, it took me a while to figure out how this worked and, and what it meant. 
Um, and there were two things that I realized kind of around the same time. You know, one I was realizing that is that a lot of the groups I was finding were cross-industry, you know, that they brought together women from finance, media, tech, retail, you know, consumer products, you name it. So I was wondering, like, how, okay, again, just like the babes in Boyland, how did you all find each other? Um, if you're in all these different industries and, and, and how do you help each other when you're in all these different industries, right? Mm-hmm. The other thing that I was thinking about was the, those stereotypes of, you know, the steamrollers and the sharp elbows and the woman, you know, because again, I, I found what I, what I dubbed a love story disguised as a business story mm-hmm. because there is this huge, massive, you know, there's this huge economic movement. There's this massive money trail and yet it's rooted in kindness and generosity and friendship. Like it is, it's a love story among female friends. So these two things were kind of at odds for me. You know, there are these horrible stereotypes of women in the workforce. And, um, and what I realized is that going back 20 years or even 10 years in certain stalwart industries, I mean, look at, you know, still finance and law. And, you know, it, there was really only room for one token woman at the top of any particular department, if not company or an entire industry. Right. You know, and so when those are, when that's the situation, you're dealing with this mentality of scarcity, right? There's only room for one. And if that if that's the case, you know, you can't share information and resources with the woman in the office next to you if inevitably one of you is going to be pushed out. And it was really hard historically for women to shine a light on that talented up-and-comer, you know, that young woman coming up behind her. Why were they going to mentor that young woman if inevitably she was just going to knock her off, yes. you know, knock the top woman off her perch. Right. You know, I think I think when you the stereotypes came about not because women are inherently bad, but because you know guys could afford to be collegial. Twenty of them were going to make partner together. You know, it was I scratch your back, you scratch mine. But for the token women, it was really hard and really, I mean, you know, again, in the story, women tell, they tell their stories of how, how lonely it was, you know, how hard it was, how they had to pretend that their families were incidental to their lives. They could never keep, you know, some of them were advised not to wear wedding rings because then their bosses would ask how much their husbands make, you know, and assume that, you know, that they didn't need any money or, you know, it was, it, it was really, a t- it was really tough for a lot of these women. And right. I think they looked to each other. They tried to find these groups originally came about. The, the the first ones that started came because women were trying to, in many cases, they had to look outside of their industries to find people who related to their unique business and personal needs, who really got them on all levels, who understood what it was like to be the only working mom in the class, or, you know, and how are you going to make this event, you know, for your kid, or you're juggling your husband and you have to travel, and, you know, these there there weren't that many of them when it's uh, many successful women when you know, when these groups started. Right. I mean, the neat thing is the last few years have seen an explosion of these groups. We have so many more women, you know, who can relate to each other. But um, but it really did. It began with women not trying to capitalize on their connections and, like, shake each other down. Right. Really, it be, you know, they weren't like, oh, what can I get from you? Right. It yes. really began with, I relate to you. You understand me as a person. Yeah. That's wonderful. Um, Pamela, we're going to take a quick break. And we, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about you. We'll be sure. right back. <laughs> Thank you. It's really tough for an everyday investor to find honest, personalized investment advice. Some brokers only push the latest hot stocks. And some financial advisors won't even return your phone call unless your account is worth half a million dollars. 
That's where the Mutual Fund Store comes in. It's where you talk with your local advisor, someone you can meet with face-to-face, not somebody wearing a headset a thousand miles away. And your Mutual Fund Store advisor will work with you to design an investment plan to help you get where you want to be. From day one, our advisors track your funds to make sure they're still right for you. Not everyone in the investment business can say that. The client comes first at the Mutual Fund Store with custom investment plans to fit your goals, not ours. To learn more, visit MutualFundStore.com or call the Mutual Fund Store now in East Norriton and Cherry Hill, 877-239-8330. That's 877-239-8330. The Women's Professional Network of Villanova University sponsors and supports programming for all Villanova women in order to encourage professional growth and development. The purpose is to connect women from all five colleges to educate and ignite change. They are thrilled to have this organization to foster creative collaboration with women across all industries. For more information or to offer ideas and suggestions, please contact them at wpn at villanova.edu or visit their website at villanova.edu slash wpn. Go Nova! Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized success, InSource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. InSource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact InSource today at 610-592-0800 or visit their website at InSourceNow.com to find the quality help you need. When you are shopping, do you chuckle at the one-size-fits-all tags? Well, wealth management should not take a one-size-fits-all approach either. Companies offer different products and services for women, and they should. All women are different. Your plan should be as unique and personal as you are. So why are you still following your one-size-fits-all financial advisor? Financial advisor Liz Barker of RBC Wealth Management understands this. Her area of expertise is women in transition and being retirement ready. Call Liz Barker, financial advisor at RBC Wealth Management at 484-530-2806. Again, that number is 484-530-2806. Or visit her online at www.lizbarker.com to schedule your complimentary custom wealth management plan today. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Welcome back, everyone, to Women to Watch here on WWDB AM860. I'm in the studio today, and I'm joined by Pamela Reichman. And Pamela is a journalist and also happens to be the author of a wonderful new book called Stiletto Network. And uh, basically, it's it's about all the different groups of women who have come together um not just in, in across the country, but I would say globally, and are um, supporting each other through business and personal um, day-to-day. 
And uh, Pamela, I think it's really important that we, we learn a little bit about you and what it is about your background that allowed you to connect with all of these women. You know, one of the one of the lines from the book, there's so many lines from the book that I just love, and I wrote down a couple. And um, one of them says, how does one get to uh, executive ensconced behind gatekeepers and a fortress of PR? Yeah. And I love that line because, you know, as I do my research for my show and I'm always looking to connect with women in, in high places, sometimes you come up against those gatekeepers and other times these women with these with these high titles just kind of pick up the phone and answer you themselves. And I yeah. always find that interesting. Um, how did you find you know, in your research for the book, uh, dealing with these gatekeepers and and fortresses of PR? (laughs) Well, you know, I know as a journalist, you know, I mean, I know as a journalist how hard it is to get access to a lot of these folks, you know, and I I think um, the fact that I have, that I had a business background certainly helped because, you know, a number of them. So when I went where this started, um, when I was writing for the New York Times, I'm a freelance writer there, um, mostly for their business section. And I, um, so I, I got in touch with these two women who were organizing this conference. And so, and they certainly greased the wheels. They helped a lot in terms of, because as these women would sign on to participate with this event, they asked them on my behalf. And many of the women said yes. But what happened after was, was even more interesting to me. So, all, so I met women like Penny Hersher at that event and, and others, and I was asking at that point really pretty open-ended questions. I didn't really know what was happening. It, again, like I said, this started for me with a hunch. Right. You know, so it was, it, when I, where I began, it was this sort of East Coast versus West Coast women thesis. Like, are, are they really different? What, okay. what is it? Right. But I didn't know about the dinner groups. And what happened was, even without a thesis, even without an article, necessarily that I was going to write much less a book contract. I just had a hunch. What women started to say to me was, huh, you know what? You're smart. You ask good questions. Let me introduce you to some of my friends. So they couldn't get me from A to Z, but they were getting me from A to C or A to J. They thought by opening their networks to me, maybe they could help. Right. And so suddenly they would connect me via email or give me the personal cell phone for their friends. But their friends were all these sort of very high-powered women. And because that recommendation was coming through a friend, these women answered immediately, and they put me on the calendar. And and again, what I saw happening when I say that I was living this story as I was writing it, I saw that you know, as a journalist, my currency isn't money. You know, I'm not going and looking for a business deal. I'm not looking for funding. But what I am looking for is people's time and access. Right. And they, in many cases, that's more, that's more valuable to them than money because they're so busy. And what I saw was that these women were doing for me what they had done for each other, Right. which is get it, helping them achieve their dreams, helping them achieve their goals whatever it you know whatever it was they needed right and so i say you know again and again that this book was really built on these networks that it was that the book is a direct result of the networks because all of these women came through introductions from other women or almost all of them right and you know what my guess is that um you kind of pointed out to them uh, that something bigger was going on they were kind of in the thick of it and just um you know attending these um dinners and luncheons and network events and but when you came on the scene to say this is really um, causing something bigger, I would imagine that they were very much interested in that and, and eager to help you for that reason. 
I, I, I definitely think that's true. And, and, you know, I mean, I remain so grateful for all the help that I've, uh, that I've received, but I think it, it was eye-opening. I mean, just as it was eye-opening to me, a lot of these women thought that they were just having dinner with their girlfriends. Right. You know, in many cases, these are people that they had done business with, but they've been friends for years or, you know, they consider them among their closest friends. So they didn't think, you know, when they go, when they went out for dinner and had that extra glass of wine and decided to name their group, you know, the chicks in charge or the babes in Boyland or, you know, forced to be is in record with another one's called the vault. You know, they really thought they could see that they were moving one, you know, that they had made a difference in each other's lives, like in one life or two lives or seven lives, you know, over the course of time. But what they didn't see and what I was researching is what was happening in aggregate, you know, that they had no idea that there were other groups springing up across the nation, again, among women in at all different levels, you know, not necessarily senior executives, but women who were just starting out were doing this exact same thing at the same moment in history. Right. So I think that was pretty exciting for all of us to learn. Yeah. You know, the book is so beautifully written um, because I love how you just kind of tell one short story after another. It's really a book full of different women's journeys. And I'm wondering if, if there was one woman in particular who had a large influence on you. If I were to ask you which one stands out as somebody who really um, perhaps changed the way you think and work, is there one? Oh my gosh, it's so hard to pick just one. I bet, I bet. I mean, no, I mean, I swear, because, you know, the neat thing is through this book, I mean, as a journalist, it's a funny thing because I have to, I had to originally walk a fine line because, you know, you're not supposed to get too close with your sources, right? And I had to sort of maintain some boundaries, even though, but these women were, were sharing real life stories with me. And I felt, you know, the weight of that. And I also felt, you know, so grateful because as a woman, you know, I'm, I'm older than many of the women I interviewed, but younger than many of them, too. So it sort of allowed me to put myself in the continuum of, of seeing because I interviewed women from their 20s to their 70s. Right. Um, you know, there, there are a couple who have just been, you know, have become phenomenal friends as a result of this, too. Um, uh, so, okay, so many. Where do I even begin? <laughs> um, I'm sorry, that was a loaded question. Uh, no, no, but it's like genuinely it's hard to pick one. But, you know, the one, there's a woman who I, who I talk about in, um, in the introduction where, you know, this wasn't always an easy process. You know, now, I mean, I'm so grateful for the news coverage and things that the book received. But when I was sort of in the thick of it, I was getting, I got so many rejections on this book proposal. It was like a bloodbath because it's not a normal, it's not a normal book. It doesn't fall into, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's a little bit of self-help because you're learning from people, but it's a little, and it's kind of business, but it doesn't fall directly into the business category. So as a result, I got a lot of pushback from publishers who said, you know, just make it a top 10. And so, and I got a ton of rejections on the proposal. And when I, I write about um, Davia Temin in the introduction, I don't identify her, but there was a certain point where I went out to lunch with her and it was supposed to be an interview, you know, because I'm like, and I've met her, you know, I'd met her a number of times at this point and, and we were talking about lots of things about life, but um but I just broke down crying because I just I was like, I've worked so hard. And all of these people have spent so much time right. telling me really 
you know, very sharing their vulnerable moments with me. I feel, you know, I feel so responsible for this project. It's like my baby, you know, and it's so important to me and I'm getting rejected right and left, you know, and I just feel like a, a failure and I'm going to fail in front of everybody. And I was like, and I'm not spending enough time with my kids. I mean, I was really just like, it was <laughs> oh my a real gosh. low point. I was like, I just. A meltdown. It was basically everyone. a meltdown. It was a meltdown. I was yeah. like, uh, and it was in the restaurant at the Four Seasons Hotel. It was really pretty great. I was like trying to pretend that I wasn't crying. Right. And, and I'm sure like, you were dressed beautifully, if I know you. <laughs> I <don't> know. <laughs> you looked spectacular. I, I don't know. Like, all I remember was like being feeling like a complete failure and being so embarrassed because I was like, oh, my God, I'm supposed to be a professional. I just started crying <laughs> in front of the like, and, you know, And this one who's, you know, whatever it is, 20 years my senior, and she just, like, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm a disaster. Maybe I should do yoga. And her answer was very funny, and I'm not going to say the word on the radio, but she said, F yoga. (laughs) (laughs) She was like... Wait, and she was seven... Was she 70? No, she's like 60. Okay, okay. So she's like, this is BS. Like, and she was like, don't you think we all have those times? Like, and she just, I mean, it was like the speech to end all speeches that really picked me up. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And she just was like, you know what? Like, you're going to get through this and you're a great mom and you're a good person. Like, this is going to be fine, but don't you dare stop because you're onto something. Like, you know, you're onto something. I know you're onto something. If other people don't see it yet, they'll see it eventually. Just keep going. Yeah. And it was one of those things where like, I walked away, I'm like, okay, I can do it. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, you know, I think like we all have those times and it was, but what I was what I was, but that happened for me in spades, you know, because again, there were all these tough moments along the way where, again, how many rejections? Right. No, I love that you stuck with it. I I can only imagine um, the nose that you got, because as you said, the book is really unique. And I, I would imagine that a lot of these publishers were telling you that it needs to fall into a very specific category. Um, and it doesn't, but that's what makes it so interesting. It, you know, it's full of it's full of personal stories and uh, also business tips left and right. Um, my goodness, when you know, when I was reading it, I learned so much about, you know, what it takes to to start a business. I mean, entrepreneurship, it's chock full of all types of tips for entrepreneurs. But yet it was so personal. I think that's what made it, you know, such a success. It took me a while to figure out the right way. Actually, that's not true. When I started writing, I um, it just flowed. Like, it really just came out. And But I knew there was part of me. Actually, you know, another woman who, who gave me a sit-down and some good advice was, and who's become a wonderful friend is Kitty Pilgrim. Kitty was an anchor on CNN for 24 years. Mm-hmm. She retired in 2009 and completely had the, recourage, had the courage to reinvent herself. She is now the author of romance thriller novels. She got, like, this incredible, like, three-book deal with Scribner. Her books are phenomenal. They're, I mean, and they're all journalistically reported, but really fast-paced, and she's She's an amazing woman. And but she, she was probably inspired by you. Well, I, you know, if I, if I could do anything to inspire her, I, I hope so. Yeah. She, had her, she has her group that they sort of ironically call Ladies Who Lunch because never, and she's this wonderful mom too, you know, never in her entire working career could she have these like long lingering lunches. But she, um, she sat me down when I was first sort of, I hadn't begun my writing yet, but I had all of these notes. And she said, you know what? 
you're really earnest when you talk about this, like, and a little bit too self-serious. And, and she was like, I, you're not like that in other ways. She said, I, she said, I think the way to tell this story, I mean, she jokingly said, she said, I think right now you have it in a navy blue package and you need to put in some sparkly pink. (laughs) (laughs) And this is from a woman who has won um, Emmys and, you know, and she's a very serious journalist. Right. But it was, I think hearing that gave me the courage to sort of write it in my own voice and not in the New York Times voice and not in a business book voice, but in, because if I had written it like an academic or sociological tome, it would be it would do such a disservice to these women who are actually out there having a blast. Right. Real, you know, real like, people. <laughs> real people. Yes. You know, and I think so much of the, the business stuff that's particularly stuff that's aimed toward women is aimed toward women of a different era and like an era where you had to pretend that you were just this one face and the hard face and that, you know, the, the navy blue suits and the big shoulder pads and, you know, what one woman in the book refers refers to as those dorky silk ties. Yeah, that was a bad look. (laughs) That was a really bad look. (laughs) I know, but it was, you know, I think it was aimed toward women who were trying to be men. Yes. And one of the undercurrents in this story is that the world is changing. And what these dinner groups, these networking circles of women have allowed each other to do is have the confidence to lead with their, you know, I hate this word because it's so overused, but their authentic selves to really mm-hmm. be who they are. And it's not by pretending to be someone else that you become a great leader. It's by tapping into your innate gifts. And these women give each other the courage to do that. And so I, that's what I hope would, would come through in the stories, that these are real people who have had real challenges. And in many cases, they attribute, the, they, they weren't all wealthy or accomplished when they started these groups. Really, anyone can do this. And these women credit their groups, these other incredible women, with giving them the courage to take the great risk to be who they're meant to be in the world. That's right. And, and you know, women can be smart and capable and um, and also like pretty dresses. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that sounds yes. so silly, but, um, you know, that's the feminine side of women that they shouldn't pretend, uh, you know, that they don't um, relate to just because they're out working. Yeah. And it's funny because at that initial conference in November, that's what tipped me off to this, actually. And it took me a while to get comfortable to say, you know, that to talk about the girly stuff. Because, again, I wanted to be taken seriously. I didn't want people to think that I was just some frivolous, ridiculous, you know, that this was going to be a Cosmo article. Right. Because I thought that it was, it was deeper than that. Mm-hmm. But when I walked into this room of 50 of some of the nation's most powerful women, I saw women talking to each other saying, oh, my gosh, what a beautiful bag. Oh, I love your shoes. Like, what? And I realized, I was like, it was so honest and normal and natural for women to interact in this way. There was no sort of posing and bravado. No, it was this was women's way of building trust. Like it wasn't just that they all they these were serious business women. They weren't just going to talk about their shoes. But this is one woman showing another woman that she appreciated her sensibility and taking that initial step in a relationship. Yeah, you know. And for guys, that might be sports. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's huge. I think. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. Because networking and, um, you know, meeting new people to do business with always comes down to trust, I believe. You know, once you've you've met somebody and you feel that that they're trustworthy and they have good intentions, um, that's when the business starts to take place. Yeah, that's I mean, 
it, that's exactly what I saw happening time and again. They, these women were sort of checking out each other's values. Right. It wasn't about checking. It was sort of, you know, do we do we have things in common? Do mm-hmm. we get along as people? You know, tell me about. And they were talking about their families and their, you know, their other interests yeah. too. Right. It wasn't just one dimensional. It wasn't like going for the jugular. Hey, what can I get from you? Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, Pamela, I wanted to ask you. You, you know, you are a writer. And you're someone who is very um, um, observant and curious and interested, which, you know, many writers are. And this book has really thrown you into the spotlight. Um, You've been asked to speak, you know, all over the country and and be interviewed on shows like mine. And I I wonder where you um, found the courage to to speak to large groups. I'm, I'm assuming that's not something you did on a regular basis. Well, this is a funny thing because I, um, growing up, I did theater badly. Oh. <laughs> like I was never a good actress, but I always <laughs> did enjoy it. Like I was not, not good at it, you know, but in high school and college, I did theater and I studied theater. And, and it's so, it's actually something that, um, and I presented not to huge groups, but in my previous career, I would have to sort of present findings and meetings and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so it was actually kind of in a funny way, part of my toolkit that I had abandoned at, when I became a journalist that I really did not get to use at all because it was totally behind the scenes. And so now it's kind of, it's been fun for me because I, you know, again, I, I would never get it back on stage as an actress. Right. I think really you could now. actually, I I think yeah. you definitely could. Maybe they'll make a, a, a movie of the book and you can play the part. Oh my goodness. I'm sure. No, there's, there, there's gotta be somebody more beautiful and more fun. Oh my gosh. Stop <laughs> it. You, I wish, I wish my listeners could see you. That's ridiculous. Well, you're, you're very kind. But. But I um but so this is actually I kind of I know lots of people hate public speaking, but I I have really enjoyed this. Like I've enjoyed sort of putting this into practice, this little thing that I've haven't haven't done in a long time. Right, right. Um, Pamela, we're gonna take one last quick break and when we come back, I'd love to talk about the topic of men mentoring women, something that was mentioned in the book. We'll be right back. Women's Professional Network of Villanova University sponsors and supports programming for all Villanova women in order to encourage professional growth and development. The purpose is to connect women from all five colleges to educate and ignite change. They are thrilled to have this organization to foster creative collaboration with women across all industries. For more information or to offer ideas and suggestions, please contact them at WPN at Villanova.edu or visit their website at Villanova.edu slash WPN. Go Nova! Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized success, InSource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. InSource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact InSource today at 610-592-0800 or visit their website at InSourceNow.com to find the quality help you need. 
It's really tough for an everyday investor to find honest, personalized investment advice. Some brokers only push the latest hot stocks, and some financial advisors won't even return your phone call unless your account is worth half a million dollars. That's where the mutual fund store comes in. It's where you talk with your local advisor, someone you can meet with face to face, not somebody wearing a headset a thousand miles away. And your mutual fund store advisor will work with you to design an investment plan to help you get where you want to be. From day one, our advisors track your funds to make sure they're still right for you. Not everyone in the investment business can say that. The client comes first at the mutual fund store with custom investment plans to fit your goals, not ours. To learn more, visit mutualfundstore.com or call the mutual fund store now in East Norriton and Cherry Hill, 877-239-8330. That's 877-239-8330. When you are shopping, do you chuckle at the one-size-fits-all tags? Well, Wealth Management should not take a one-size-fits-all approach either. Companies offer different products and services for women, and they should. All women are different. Your plan should be as unique and personal as you are. So why are you still following your one-size-fits-all financial advisor? Financial advisor Liz Barker of RBC Wealth Management understands this. Her area of expertise is women in transition and being retirement ready. Call Liz Barker, financial advisor at RBC Wealth Management at 484-530-2806. Again, that number is 484-530-2806. Or visit her online at www.lizbarker.com to schedule your complimentary custom wealth management plan today. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. We are back in the studio today with Pamela Reichman, who is author of Stiletto Network. And uh, Pamela is uh, living and working in New York. And just before the break, uh, Pamela, I mentioned the topic of men mentoring women. And I, I'd love to touch on that because a lot of um, the book is women who speak about other women helping them along the way. But many had men that were uh, influencers influencers, excuse me, in their lives. And I wonder if you can tell me what you learned from that uh, in speaking with the women for the book. That is absolutely the case. And I mean, it's interesting because I am, um, in some ways, I was an unusual candidate to write a book about women's issues because I really didn't, not that I, you know, was, um, I, I had, I didn't have a lot of feelings about feminism at all. You know, I mean, I always was sort of somebody who put my head down and did my job. And I worked with mostly men in my previous career and, um, and had very, terrific relationships with men, you know, and into journalism, you know, the, the head of the journalism school who sort of completely helped me so much manage that um, while I was giving, getting pregnant and giving birth was, was a man with two daughters. Mm -hmm. And so I could never have, I, I say this again and again, I, this is not a man hating book. Like, no, oh, it is not. It is. It really is not. Like, my my board women. operator, Tim, is very happy to hear that. Oh, right. <laughs> no, no, we love men. Like, we love men. And, you know, I mean, I could never have. I mean, again, I have three little boys, right? It's like, I I hope, how ironic. I hope we're not living in a world which is like the end of men. That's you know? right. Like, oh, That's no, right. My family's a disaster. So. <laughs> 
So I, you know, and I so I qualify everything with the fact that you know all of the what I found so refreshing about um, these women and their stories is that you know none of them could be so successful, uh, you know, or or, or continue to be uh, you know with regard to the young women if they had adversarial relationships with men. You know, these are all women who work very very productively with men, but have just found a very special connection with other women who can really relate to them. Right. But right. you know, again, one thing I heard time and time again is, and I've experienced this as well, is that some of the, the very best mentors are men with daughters because they see, you know, they, they hear from their daughters uh, and men with strong wives, you know, like they, they see what it's like for their daughters and they want the, the women in their lives who they love to have the same opportunities right. that, you know, that all the boys and the men have. Yes. And and they see that, you know, their, their challenges and their struggles. And, you know, um, Pamela, we talk a lot um, on this show about self-esteem in young girls. And I'm wondering if, if you can share what maybe one of your personal challenges is, um, you know, that, that just kind of is a struggle for you in both uh, family and work. Well, I was a super late bloomer. I mean, I there's the like no boys looked at me until you know like I had one like really nerdy boyfriend on and off from like seventh grade till you know till I went. To I'm college. sure he'll appreciate like, that. Like, no, no, I mean, but there was like the, like I was even nerdier, you know. Like I, like I, there were, I like I had no boobs. I had no like I couldn't do my hair. I had like braces for four years. I mean, there was no like there was no you know. I mean, and and the funny thing is. Um, one of my closest friends from college, who's a guy actually, um, came, uh, who also grew up in New Jersey, happened to be visiting my family's home, um, you know, one summer in college. And he saw a bunch of old pictures. He was like, oh, my God, you are an ugly duckling. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> I mean, and he obviously meant it as a compliment. Like, it, you know, it, fortunately, life turns out okay. <laughs> but, fortunately. You know, yeah, but I mean, it's, I mean, I think for somebody who, I never put... I wanted to be pretty. I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to have attention from boys. And it, But now kind of the neat thing is when you grow up, you realize like, okay, maybe all of those formative years where I was forced to develop a personality, you know, focus on things that actually made me feel good about myself. Like I played sports. I did literary magazine. I was on the school newspaper. Like I, I, I developed my brain, right. you know, and which, that has which helped is me more through important. my whole life. Yes, you know? yes. And, and Pamela, did you have um, brothers or sisters? I grew up with one sister, one younger sister. One younger so, sister, okay. Yeah, so this is kind of a funny, um, you know, it's funny for me to live in a boy house now. Right, I know, it's so ironic. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, what I found one of the most important messages came from the absolute very last paragraph of the book. And um, it kind of touches on what we were talking about as far as men. And I'm just going to read a snippet of it real quick. Um and this is uh, something that um, Pe- uh, Peters, Penny, Penny, uh, Peters, Penny yeah. Peters said. And she said, it's not just about what women will achieve for themselves. It's adding women to the mix with men. Um, it's about having two styles of problem solving simultaneously. And then she went on to say, because we've been working or functioning on half of a brain. And I thought that was so key because... You know, it really is true that that men think differently than women, and but they're both um, very productive ways of thinking. And so, when you bring the two together, um, that's when really wonderful things happen. I mean, when she, when I did, I did that interview um, pretty 
relatively early on. I knew that this was about the dinner groups. I knew this was happening. But the minute she said that, I knew that that was the closer. I was like, that's it. That's, that's it. what it's all about. It's not about exclusion. It's not about separating ourselves in some little cul-de-sac of feminine support. You know, this is about this is about love and kindness and generosity and like we said in the beginning, achieving your dreams, achieving your destiny, but doing it together with men, because aren't we all better together? Yes, know? that's exactly right. Can you tell us what you're what you're working on now? Or is there anything, um, another book perhaps, or, or what, what articles are you writing now? This is kind of a funny thing, because again, like I, I tell everybody that this book changed my life. And, and so, and it's opened doors for me personally that I never could have imagined three years ago. Um, so through the book, I met a couple of um, TV and movie producers. Actually, one, the woman whose story kicks off the book, Kim Moses, who's a TV producer in L.A., when I was trying to get blurbs for the book, um, introduced me to another um, TV, movie, and Broadway producer here in New York. She just said, you know what, I think you're just going to love Mary Beth. You should, um, and actually, this is so funny because this is the way my life works now. Mary Beth introduced me to Sheila Clem, and that's how I ended up speaking at, at Villanova. Oh, really? <laughs> so, oh, yeah. But I am working on a project with, I'm writing a screenplay with Mary Beth. Oh, my gosh. It's not directly... it's not directly about the book, but it features many themes in the book. And, you know, part of what she said is we don't have enough content, you know, high-quality content for women these days, for, for smart young women, people to identify with. Because, you know, now work is so much, you know, we had sex in the city and we have girls, but work is so much a part of women's lives, but it's not portrayed on screen the, the way it is. That's right. You know? And it's so still we, not. we started having these conversations about a year ago, and now I'm working on a screenplay. Oh, that's so exciting. It is so exciting. And I love it. Like, I'm really loving the creative work. And so are we'll you, see. Yeah. And are you able to just focus on that right now, and, and you're not juggling a bunch of different things? Um, I'm doing a lot of speaking engagements still, which is wonderful because yes. I think, you know, and I think what's, what's hard is that writing requires large blocks of uninterrupted time. Yes. And that's like the hardest thing to get with kids and, and, and travel. And so what I'm doing is I'm kind of going underground in January and not doing, um, and not speaking and not traveling and having meetings as much so I can focus on the screenplay. And then I get back into the speaking and, and promoting the book. That's great. So, you know, yeah. you really, you know, I ask uh, often what your um, typical day is like and, and how you go about your work. And it sounds to me like you're pretty organized with how you spend your time. I, I mean, it, it's interesting. Like, I, there is no typical day for me. Well, but, but I am. But there, what I say is, like, there's no typical day, but I try to keep things pretty consistent week to week. And, and often it's around my kids' schedules because I want to be an involved mom and I want to drop them off at school and I want to pick them, you know, and I can't do it every day, but... And I can, I do. And so um, the nice thing about being a writer is that I can, you know, there are some days where I can just sit at home and work in my sweatpants. You know, right. like I yeah. never, <laughs> like I don't, the dirty little secret is like I don't get dressed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, I think, I think I, I try to, and the other like trick is that I yesterday I, I tried to schedule as many meetings as I could because you know then tomorrow I will you know because then I would get dressed and have makeup on and I would do the whole day in meetings and then tomorrow I will spend the whole day at home writing. Yeah, you know? that's you know what that's a wonderful way to live though, not to have to do the exact same thing every day. I, I you know it it works and everybody does it differently but for me that's i i really i mean i like all i want to do all these different things and i and i really but i don't have much of a you know the nice thing is like this book 
I, I say I don't have much of a social life, but that's not really true. I, fe- I found that my work and personal life are so intertwined these days mm-hmm. that, um, you know, I've met so many tremendous, amazing people. You know, Mary Beth, this producer, I thanked her in the acknowledgement. She's, co- she's become an incredible friend of mine. And Sheila, like, I'm so grateful for them in my life. But when we get together, we also talk about work and we're working on a project together. Yeah, that's really so wonderful. There's so much overlap. Right. It's great. Right. You know what, Pamela, do you have any advice for any of our listeners who might be young women who want to be writers? I would say just keep at it and follow your passion. You know, it's it's not an easy industry right now, and I've certainly found that, but there are ways in. You know, and I, and I think especially now, it, because it's being so destabilized and because there's such a, a need for high-quality content out there, you can get your voice out there. You know, there, there are tons of websites. Start your own blog. You know, if you have something to say, people will listen. Right. And, and I think it's real important to do exactly what you did, and that, that is to kind of not let someone else um, tell you how to write. Or, you know, or, or tell you what to be interested in, kind of stick to what your gut is telling you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, you know, it is more than any generation, you know, I am seeing, you know, people, people say that the the millennials get a lot of guff, right? <laughs> and mm-hmm. Entitlement generation yes. and things like that. But I have seen so much courage and so much innovation among young women this age you know, and they just really, there's a belief that, you know, they don't have to work within the existing systems. If the existing systems, which, you know, honestly, like were created by men, don't work for them, that they're going to reinvent them. That's right. You know, and that means that just, that's not just about writing and work. That's about everything in life. That's you know, right. Like, I don't have to go to an office every day. I've just, I, before I got on the phone with you, I was with my son at a school. You know, like yeah. I can, I can be the worker I want to be and yeah. still like make money and still see my kids have a life. Yeah, it really is. There's a lot more opportunity to be creative and, and to, to be entrepreneurs. Yeah. 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 You know what, Pamela, we're at the end of the show and uh, it flew by as it always does. I'm so grateful to you for calling in this morning because I know how busy you are and I thank, <laughs> thank you very you. much and I wish, wish you a lot of success with the book. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity, Sue. Okay. I'll be in okay. touch with you. Uh, I'll, I'll follow up after the show with you, okay? Okay, terrific. Thank Have a you. great day. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch here on WWDB AM 860. Again, my name is Susan Rocco, and if you'd like to get in touch with me, I'd love to hear from you. So feel free to call me at 215-313-5561. Have a great week, everyone.